As I was preparing to preach this weekend, yesterday before I, I came over, I was praying with my wife and my 10-year-old son, Josiah, and uh, he just prayed some really heartfelt things, and when we were done praying, he said, Dad, I don't want you to feel any pressure, and I don't want you to worry, but just don't let us down this weekend, okay? <laughs> okay. So last night, my family's here as I'm preaching, and I, and I look over, and, and I see my family there, and about halfway through, my daughter is completely asleep over there, so I successfully preached my daughter into a coma last night, so I don't know if that counts for letting people down, letting my family down or not, but did you know that if you took every person in America that fell asleep during a weekend service, and you laid them end to end, they would be a lot more comfortable. <laughs> that I know. But we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about the topic of worry tonight. And if you grew up and lived through the 1980s, there's a philosopher that had a significant influence on our culture and how we think about this topic of worry and how we deal with worry and anxiety in our life. And so to jump off into our sermon tonight, I wanted you to hear from this philosopher directly. So just take a minute and we'll hear from him. song I wrote, you might want to sing it note for note, don't worry, be happy, in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry you make it double, don't worry, be happy, don't worry, be happy now. Well, there you have it. Is, is there more that can be said on dealing with worry in our life? And we've already taken our offering, so we could probably just pray and go home now, right? The problem is, is that Bobby McFerrin, in his great song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, he didn't really give us a working solution for how to deal with worry and the stresses and the anxieties that we're feeling in day-to-day life. And let's just be honest. If we were to just even go around the room today and share about the things that are going on underneath the surface in our life, there are so many circumstances in our life that can produce great amounts of worry and anxiety. For some of us, we're at the place where there always just seems like there's way more month at the end of the money. We're just trying to figure out how are we going to make ends meet? How are we going to get by, pay the mortgage? Some of us are in a marriage that's just hanging on by a thread, and we're thinking, am I going to be able to have that dream of ending my life with the person that I began married life with? And it creates great uncertainty about the future. Some of you are battling health issues, or you've got friends and family and loved ones that are battling health issues that also create great uncertainty about the future. We don't know what's going to happen. Some deal with wayward children that are continually making decisions to turn their back on God and walk away from him. And you just lay there awake at night wondering, are they ever going to turn their life around? 
Some can't find a job. We can't sell that house. We can't seem to land that deal. Some of us are dealing with incredible amounts of relational conflict in our life with family members or friends or coworkers. Some people are wondering, am I going to be single for the rest of my life? Am I going to spend my life alone? And we just, if we just added up all the things that are going on in the lives of everyone here in this room, there would be, if we wanted to worry, there would be more than enough things to worry about. And our culture, they're always trying to help us, aren't they, with ways to deal with worry, teach us how to meditate, how to medicate, how to recreate, all these things to try to deal with the worry and the anxiety in our life. But oftentimes at the end of the day, we're still left with a pit in our stomach because we just don't know what the future holds. I just want to ask you a couple of questions that I think might kind of help us surface some of our beliefs and thinking about worry in our life. And this first question that I'm going to ask you, it's not my question. It was asked by someone much smarter and wiser than me. And if you've been around church, you're probably going to recognize this question and who it was that asked us. But the question is this. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Well, it's a rhetorical question, but the, the big idea that Jesus was trying to get across when he asked that question is that worry doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't make anything better. And I think intuitively, we kind of know that, but oftentimes that doesn't even keep us from worrying in our life. Not only does worry not able to add a single hour to our life, but the second question of this, how many of you are pretty confident that you've actually taken some hours off of your life by worrying? Yeah, probably all of us. The, the stress, the emotional stress, the physical stress, the loss of time, the loss of energy that worry takes out of our life. Not only does it not extend our life, but worry actually diminishes the quality of life that we do have. Most of us, if we were honest, would come to the agreement that we believe that worry is not helpful for anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. And so at the end of the day, in our mind, we've got to come to the place where we say worry doesn't make sense. But even though worry doesn't make sense, oftentimes we still worry. But here's the problem, is you don't stop worrying by just trying really hard to stop worrying. Bobby McFerrin, in his song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, he had it all wrong. There's more to it than just don't worry, be happy. If we're going to get to a place in our life where we're not overcome by the worries and anxieties of life, something fundamentally needs to change inside of us. Something needs to fundamentally change inside of who we are. And that's what we want to look at today. You see, this whole thing of worry, this wasn't invented by us in this 21st century, fast-paced American lifestyle. Worry has been around as long as people have been around. And so when Jesus had an opportunity one day to teach to some of his closest followers, he stepped right in to this topic because worry was as real then as it is today. Now maybe some of the, the pressure points that they felt at that time are different than what we see today and that changes from time to time and from culture to culture. But bottom line, worry was an issue then and it is today. So we're going to look at 
What did Jesus have to say on this stuff? And what is the perspective that he wanted us to have in order to be able to deal effectively with worry in our life? There's some principles that we need to embrace if we're going to ever get beyond that pit in our stomach. We're going to look at Luke chapter 12 in the Bible today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Luke chapter 12, starting verse 22. If you don't have a Bible, they're on your notes page and on the side screens as well. Starting in verse 22, this is what the scripture says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Now I want to focus in real quickly to a key word right at the very beginning of what Jesus says. And it's a, it's a connecting word, therefore. And I want to just give you a little hint. As you're studying the Bible, it's very helpful to really understand and think about connecting words. And therefore is one of the most important words uh, to begin to think about when you're reading the scriptures. And the question that you need to ask every time you come to that word therefore is this is the question you need to ask. What is the therefore, therefore? Because what Jesus is trying to say is that he's connecting everything that he's going to say about worry to something that he's just previously talked about. So if you want to understand what he's going to say, we've got to look up ahead or behind what he's just said to think about what is it that he wants us to have in mind as we move into this section of Scripture. And Jesus has just told a parable about a man who everything was going well in life. His ground was producing incredible amounts of crops. So the biggest problem that this guy had to worry about was how was he going to store all of his wealth? And so he would tear down his barns and he would build bigger barns until he had amassed an incredible amount of wealth. And finally, he gets to the place where he said, I think I've got enough. I'm going to hit early retirement. It's time for me to eat, drink, and be merry. But this is what the Bible says. The text says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? One of the big ideas that Jesus wants us to have in mind as he moves into this text where he starts to talk about worry is he wants us to understand this. Life is incredibly uncertain. He gives us this picture. Life is uncertain. Now I know you may not feel like life is uncertain because you've got plans for today and likely you're going to carry out those plans and then Monday maybe other plans and then Tuesday back to work after Memorial Day and that Tuesday will probably look a lot like last Friday and Wednesday will look a lot like the day before. Sometimes we get kind of lulled into believing that life isn't uncertain. Like we can kind of manage the future. We know what's coming. Because life, I mean, it isn't completely unpredictable. But every now and again, we get those phone calls or we have those conversations where they just drop us to our knees. And circumstances come into our life that remind us that this life is incredibly fragile and incredibly uncertain. We just don't know what's going to come. So Jesus, as he steps into this topic of worry, he wants us to understand that even in the midst of incredible uncertainty, he tells us you don't have to worry. He says, do not worry. 
In fact, he, that's a command. He tells us, commands us not to worry. So at a, at a fundamental level, Jesus understands and believes that even in the midst of uncertainty, we can live a life that is free from worry. But he's going to tell us how. And the, the, the way we're going to get there is we've got to get to the place where we begin to see our life accurately and we begin to see our life from God's perspective. And then Jesus goes on to use a couple of illustrations to get our mind around what is God's perspective on us and our life. And here's the first illustration he uses, starting in verse 24. He says, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no, store, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Let's just let that last sentence sink in a little bit. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Now I think on the surface that doesn't sound like a very profound statement. But I think if we get to the place where we understand how much God cares for us, when we let that truth settle in to the deepest places of who we are, it can fundamentally change how we see ourselves and how we see the world around us and how we see our circumstances. You see, God made a lot of things when he created this world. He spoke a lot of things into existence. But what he wants us to know, even from the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, is that you as people, you are the pinnacle of my creation. I made you in a way that I didn't make anything else in this world. You are made in my image. God's fingerprints are over our life. When he looks at us, he sees dimly a reflection of himself. He made us to be able to relate to him, to have relationship with him, to be able to experience his presence in the way that nothing else, nothing else in all of his creation does. And so with that in mind, he's saying, look at what I do for the birds. And in the grand scheme of things, birds, they don't matter. And if I take care of birds that in the big scheme of things don't matter, how much more will I take care of you? I care about you. You're the pinnacle of my creation. And so let's just think about birds for a minute. You know, birds don't stress about the things that we stress about. You know, no, birds aren't stressing about their 401k. In fact, I don't even think birds have 401ks as far as I know. Birds aren't laying awake at night wondering, am I going to have to move back into the nest with my parents because I can't find a job? Birds aren't laying awake at night wondering, am I going to be single forever or will I find a hot little chickadee someday to spend the rest of my life with? Birds aren't doing those things. Birds are just doing what birds do, and God takes care of them. Now, I know that sometimes when we think about this topic of of don't worry, some people think that what Jesus is saying is don't care. Don't take responsibility. You know, I've got a test coming up, but uh, I don't really want to study for it. And besides, you know, Jesus said don't worry, so I'm not going to worry about it. You know, I realize that my marriage is falling apart, and I probably need some help, but that's going to take a lot of time and work. And Jesus said, don't worry about it, so I'm not going to worry about it. That's not what Jesus is trying to say when he said that birds don't sow 
or reap. He's saying that we do need to sow and reap. We do need to take responsibility for our life. But what he wants us to understand is that when we've done all that we can do, when we've taken responsibility for all that we can take responsibility for, at the end of the day, we just need to trust that God is going to take care of us. God wants to take care of us. We're the pinnacle of his creation. And then Jesus moves on in the text, and he then asks his disciples the rhetorical question that we began the message with. He says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Again, he's just trying to make the point. There's not one constructive thing that's going to come from worry and anxiety in your life. Worry is a waste of our time. And our time equals our life. When we run out of time, we run out of life. And he's saying, worry is a waste of your life. And then Jesus moves on in verse 27 to give another illustration that mirrors the first about the birds. He says, consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Again, Jesus wants to reemphasize that idea that God cares about you more than anything else that he's created. He can take care of you. And because he can take care of us, we don't have to worry. And now, I want to step in here a little bit because, you know, I've wrestled, tried to wrestle through this worry thing myself and thinking about God's ability to take care of me. And this is where I think we get stuck. This is sometimes where I get stuck. I believe sometimes, I believe with all my heart that God can take care of me, but I just don't always know if he will. And that's where we get stuck. I believe that God can deal with this financial need in my life, but I'm not sure if he will. I believe that God can provide a job for me, but I don't know if he will. I believe that God can deal instantly with this health issue in my life, but I just don't know if he will. I know he can, but I don't know if he will. And then Jesus puts his finger on what the problem is there. And the problem is our faith. And he goes on to call the disciples, or say something very short to his disciples. He says, oh, you of little faith. The issue of you wondering whether I can or I will, it's an issue of faith. And as we think about it, worry really is a reflection of our faith. And worry actually says more about how we view God and how we relate to him than about the circumstances in our life. Oftentimes, worry can just be a symptom of something deeper going on in our life, a deeper problem of a faith issue as it relates to us and God. If you drive a car, you probably have seen those little red lights that they have on the, on the dashboard. They're little uh, warning indicator lights to let you know that there's something going on under the hood that's not right. You've got a, a little red light that can come on if your oil pressure is too low, if your battery's not charging or your temperature's too high. 
And when those little red lights come on, I mean, you can actually ignore them if you want to. You can just kind of put a little envelope over them or cover them up in some way and, and just keep on driving. It's not highly recommended. But the idea is that they want to warn you that there's something going on underneath the hood that's not right. Now, I think that worry is like one of those warning lights in our life. That there's a, a little warning that says that there's something underneath the hood in our faith. There's something underneath the hood in our life in terms of how we view God and how we're relating to him that's just not right. We're not seeing God accurately. Now, I want to try to explain the connection between worry and faith in a way. And I need to apologize. I, when I was in college, I, I didn't go to uh, seminary when I was in college. I'm actually an engineer by training, an electrical engineer. And so when I think about things, oftentimes I think about them in terms of equations or math. And so if, if math actually creates worry and anxiety in your life, I'm just going to apologize to you right now for creating worry. In your life. But this is what I want you to understand about the relationship between worry and faith. Worry and faith are inversely proportional. And if we were to try to make a simple equation that would help us understand the connection between worry and faith, the equation would look something like this. Worry equals one over faith. And for the non-math majors, let me just try to explain really quickly what this is saying. What this equation is saying is that when my faith gets really big in my life, when the things, my faith life underneath the hood starts getting really large, worry starts getting really, really small. But when my faith gets really, really small and moves towards zero, worry gets really, really big in my life. Worry and faith are inversely proportional in terms of how they connect to one another. So if we want to deal with worry in our life, We've got to come at it from the angle of our faith. What is going on in terms of how we see God and how we relate to him? And I want to just think for a moment, what would your life look like if your faith started getting really, really big in a way that would cause worry to become small? What if you woke up every morning and you just completely trusted that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do? What if you woke up and you believed that the God that is present in your life is powerful enough by just his word to speak into existence all of what we see in this world? That God with that kind of power is present in my life, but present in my life, but he's also personal. He knows everything that's going on in my life. He knows my deepest hurts, my deepest wounds, my deepest fears, and he's right here. He knows and he understands. Would it, would it make a difference in your life in the midst of even the greatest difficulty if you just knew that God was right there and he knows and he understands? Even if your circumstances didn't change, wouldn't that do something inside of you if you just knew that God was there and he understands? But not only is he there and he understands, but he has provided great provision for my life and my future. He cares so much about me and being able to relate to him that he sent his one and only son into this world to bear the wrath of sin on himself in order for me to have a relationship with him. Would it make a difference to know that God was that crazy 
about you that God cared that much about you. And just to even know that God has prepared something incredible for you, that this life is not all there is. There's a bigger thing to be lived for. What if, what if those truths began to sink into the deepest places of who we are and we began to live out of those things? I think it would change the way we see our circumstances, the way we see the world. That's what it looks like when our faith gets big. And maybe you've never been one of those big faith people, but maybe you've run in to someone like that. I love it when I get an opportunity to bump into people that have huge faith. And and when I say huge faith people, this is what I mean. I'm talking about people that are going through circumstances that are just unreal. The chaos in their life, the turmoil in their life. And you're thinking in your back of your mind, how do they even get out of bed in the morning? If that was happening to me, I would just pull the covers up and suck my thumb all day. But you look at their life, and they're not falling apart. And you look at their faith, and they're not caving in. In fact, in the midst of this great turmoil, their faith is actually growing. Their trust and belief in God is actually getting bigger. And you're thinking to yourself, what in the world is going on with these people? What's going on is totally counterintuitive. You've got to ask yourself, a smart person would ask themselves, what is going on underneath the hood in these people's lives? What is causing them to respond to their circumstances in this way? And Jesus goes on in this teaching to talk about what it is that's happening underneath the hood in these people's life. And it has to do with what they are seeking, what their heart is after, what their life is about. Jesus goes on in his teaching in verse 29, and this is what he says about what our heart is seeking. He says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek the kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's making a contrast between the life of a person who does not know God and the life of a person who does know God. And he he uses the term pagan, which sometimes we can, has connotations that we think of like evil, wicked, Saddam Hussein types. But when Jesus is using this term here, pagan, he's just simply talking about someone who doesn't know God. And there's a difference between what people chase when they know God and when they don't know God and when they do. At least, absolutely, there should be. If a person doesn't know God, if they don't know who he is or what he's like or how to relate to him, their lives are about chasing the things of this world. Which, which would just make sense. What else would you chase after? If this is all there is, why wouldn't we chase after the things of this world? Why wouldn't our heart seek those things? But as a follower of Christ, someone who's in relationship with a living God, there's something else that our heart is destined to seek. A bigger picture than just this world. Because this world is not all that there is. There's a story that I heard about a lady. I probably heard this story about a decade ago, but I think about it often, and it's impacted me greatly. This was a a lady that had a terminal illness, and because of the nature of knowing that you're going to die very soon, she had the opportunity to plan her own memorial service. 
And so she had the opportunity to sit down with her pastor and begin to plan what that day would look like. She got to talk about the scripture that she wanted him to share. She got to talk about the songs that she wanted people to sing. She got to talk about what she was going to wear as she was laying in her casket. She got to plan all those things. But as she was in this planning meeting with her pastor, she had a very interesting request. She said, in my casket, as I'm laying there and people come by to view it, I want to be holding a fork. And he was just thinking, I've heard a lot of things. I've done a lot of funerals. No one has ever asked to hold a fork. Can you explain why is it that you would want to hold a fork? She just said, I've just loved entertaining during my life. I'd love to be a a part of nice dinners. And she said, and whenever I'm at a very nice dinner and the hostess comes out and as they're clearing the table, she says, hang on to your fork. She said, I know that the best is yet to come and I get very excited. She said, I want everyone that walks by my casket to see me holding a fork and I want you to tell them that I know that the best is yet to come. That's the kind of contrast that Jesus is making. A life of someone who follows Christ, we should be living lives with forks in our hand. Not living life like this is all there is and amassing things on this earth is all that life is about. Because we know, if we know Christ, this is actually the worst that we will ever experience in our life. The best is yet to come. God has prepared for that. Don't chase after the things of this world. Don't try to amass things on this planet because that isn't what it's about. But he says, but. He says, don't chase after the things that pagans chase after, but seek the kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek the kingdom of God. And now we've got to ask the question, what exactly does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? That just seems like it's kind of a little fuzzy, vague, mysterious. Let me try to boil it down to you as simply as I can. When we talk about the kingdom, we're simply talking about a place where there is a king and there's a rule or a reign of a king. And what Jesus is saying is that place your life under the rule and authority of God. Bow your knee to him in complete obedience with your life. That's what it means to seek the kingdom. If I were to sum it up in one word, seeking the kingdom is just simply the word surrender. That we would throw our arms wide open and just say, Jesus, my life is yours. I realize, Jesus, this life is absolutely uncertain. I don't know if I'm going to get tomorrow. But Jesus, the future is not uncertain to you. And I'm willing by faith, to place my life fully into the hands of the person for whom the future is not uncertain. I don't want to hold anything back. I want to seek your kingdom. I want your complete rule and reign in my life. And it's in that kind of environment when we've placed our lives completely and irrevocably into the lordship, into the care of our heavenly father, it's in that environment that worry begins to slip away in our life. The circumstances of this life begin to get small because the reality of God starts to get very, very big in our life as we surrender our life to him. It's interesting to me 
um, and, and kind of exciting, actually, that Jesus, he, he taught about this idea of worry in Luke chapter 12, but he modeled it at the end of his life. What do I do with worry in my life? Jesus taught about it to his disciples in Luke 12, but at the end of his life, he showed us with a great picture, how do you respond? Do you, ever, you never really think about Jesus being worried, but we're going to look at a little snapshot of his life, the very end of his life, where Jesus was worried. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. The uncertainty of what he was going to walk through created great trouble in the deepest places of his soul. And as he prays to the father, he wants out. He wants out of, of this. To say that Jesus was worried or would, would be an understatement. Troubled to the point of death. But what is his response to worry? He taught, about it, taught it to his disciples back in Luke 12, and now he models it for them. At the very end of his prayer, he just says, yet not my will, but as you will. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus modeled, if you're worried, place your life fully and irrevocably into the hands of the one to whom the future is not uncertain. That's where we'll find worry able to slip away in our life, is when we place our life into the hands of the one for whom the future is not uncertain. Now I just want to say, as, we, as we've talked about this whole idea uh, of dealing with worry in our life, I don't want to try to make it sound like this is just an easy thing, just an easy deal and kind of the don't worry, be happy, just get over it, build your faith big. And I understand that, there, that there's a lot that goes into this. And I don't want to minimize or trivialize just the, the depths of the pain and the hurt and the things that are going on in the lives of people here today. I don't want to oversimplify it. But at the same time, I want us to be people who take God at his word. And that when we do place our life into his hands, we can trust that he is the one who's going to be, take care of us. It's not easy, it's not trivial, but there's hope. There's hope because even though our worry can be big, our God is bigger than that. And I want to just give you a couple of practical things to think about throughout this week. If there's issues in your life that are creating great sources of stress and worry for you, a couple of practical things that I think you can do. One is, is to begin to monitor your heart. Begin to ask yourself, what is it really that my heart is seeking? What is it that I am chasing after in my life? You know, it's easy for us to just say, well, God's the most important thing in our life. But does our life really reflect that? If we were to examine our life a little bit more closely, examine our heart, would that be the case? If I spent time looking at your schedule and how you spent your time, would it reflect that you're chasing after the kingdom of God? If I were to or anyone, or you were to just look into your, your checkbook, 
How do you use your finances? Does that reflect that you're seeking the kingdom of God and the things of his kingdom? Because Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are the things that you think about and daydream about as you're driving in your car and going for a walk, when you can think about anything in the world that you want to think about, what is it that's captured your mind? When you're visiting with your friends and you just have time to chat, what is it that, what is it that you talk about? Is it the stuff of this earth or is it the stuff of God's kingdom? Is it about him and surrender to him? Take the time to really ask ourselves honestly, what am I chasing? Because your worry points are going to come at the places of the things that you're chasing in this life. That's the, those are the things that you're going to worry about. A second thing that I think uh, would be the most helpful for you to do is just begin the practice and start this week of just spending time each day reflecting in the scripture that we just looked at today. Give God the opportunity by the power of his Holy Spirit as you read and reflect and meditate on the scripture to speak to your heart about these issues. Because it's really true. It's not until... The truths of these scriptures, you can explain these truths to a five-year-old and they can understand them. But it's not until these truths, like I said, land into the deepest places of who we are and we begin to live out of these things that our life is going to change. We want to become big faith kind of people by trusting God and taking him at his word. And like we, I just want to end where we started by just reminding us that worry, it doesn't accomplish anything for us. It's a waste of our time and it's a waste of our life. Let's pray. Father, I'm just so grateful that when I think about you and reflect on you right now, I I just know that your hands are big. Your heart is big and you can be trusted. Lord, we can place our life into your hands. God, I just pray for me and our, my family and my friends here at Journey. Lord, I pray that we would become big faith kind of people who take you at your word, who unhesitantly surrender our lives to you. Lord, that we would throw our arms wide open and give all of our life to you, complete surrender, complete obedience. God, we want to follow you in every way. Lord, thank you also that this life isn't it. This life is not worth living for. Lord, it's a a future life that you've provided for us that's even greater. Lord, thank you for doing that for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.